how it lights my path, how it guides my way. As Shirley said, that's Exodus 33, verses 12 to 23. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us that we, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Lord, we thank you for faith. Um, we thank you for her obedience to your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your presence with us. Um, I just, we thank you also for what you've put on her heart, the message that you have for us. And I just pray that... Uh, that you would anoint 
her words with power so that your message can achieve all of its purposes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, and also for the beautiful reading you did. Thank you. Okay, well, it's great to be here with you this morning. I'm not often standing here, and that's a very good thing for everybody, because Roger and I handed over the responsibility, although actually, to be honest, of the congregation, I was going to say, but we still pray for you all and for the congregation and for your leadership team. You've got a wonderful group here, and we love coming along. So, however, because Debbie was going to be away, she asked me if I would bring the word this morning. And the, act, the word, as you heard read, is um, Moses talking to God after all manner of traumatic events had happened in the previous chapters. Now, I don't think you looked at those previous chapters, not the immediate ones, because we've had Easter, and these last weeks we've been looking at, at the meaning of Easter, which is wonderful. But we have been working through the Old Testament, the book um, of Exodus. So that's what this is about. Okay? So we actually just had read, and I think it was beautifully read, Moses, if you remember what happened, shall I just remind you, Moses had been a long while up and down in the mountain taking all sorts of instruction from God. In fact, we're told he wrote it down, which is quite amazing, isn't it? And God gave him the Ten Commandments verbally, which later he, God himself engraved on a rock and gave him to take to the people, but also lots of instruction about how they should worship, what kind of people they were, what God was doing. There was a huge amount of teaching to Moses when he was up in the mountain. And he'd come down to the people. But then he, he, in this story, he, God called him up to the mountain again and said this time it was just Moses and Joshua who Moses had taken on board a little while before, perhaps a few months before. Joshua was a young man, and Moses decided he was going to train him up to be an assistant to Moses, but also to see what God had for him. He was training him in leadership, and I think that's actually a very significant thing. And, we, and I think that Joshua was a very fortunate, in a way, young man. Although we may not feel it's quite so fortunate when we think of all the poor things that happened to Joshua. Because if you are called to leadership of any kind, you know it will not be an easy ride. If you're a Christian and you're seeking to lead in any way, if you're seeking to lead in your workplace, in your home, in your school, or wherever, there, it's not always easy. Or in the church. Because the enemy... Does is against all godly leadership, which is what we need. So I was reading, in fact, I just looked it up a little bit again because I remembered a couple of days ago, there was um, a tweet on Twitter by David Landrum. Now, I don't know how many of you know David Landrum. He has spoken at Revive, but it was some years back. Uh, Roger and I have known him for many years, and, and uh, we love him. He's a very thoughtful, godly man, and he's an excellent uh, speaker and preacher. However... Um, David put out what he discovered was a few days ago, the 27th of April, was the anniversary of the first Christian martyr of the Uyghur people. The Uyghur people were in a, a kind of an area, I suppose, of, uh, of China. Certainly it was out there um, in the east. And the Uyghurs were a whole people group. And this young man was a Uyghur, but they were celebrating 90-year anniversary 
of his martyrdom. And so David Landrum told the story in it. And it's a beautiful story because um, it starts with Swedish missionaries at the end of the 19th century. And I have to tell you, when I read all this, I thought, gosh, my respect for Swedish missionaries has gone up hugely because they actually had a picture at one point of the way that the missionaries had to enter this land that the Uyghurs lived in, um, Tashkent, I think it was. But anyway, they, they had to go over a mountain pass. It was right on the edge of a huge drop. And they, they, they went regularly back and forth over this. It, it's the most an incredible, scary-looking path to have gone on. But they went into this land because they were taking the gospel of Jesus. And they set up all sorts of lovely things for the people because the people were poor. But one of the things they set up as well was an orphanage for orphan children. And basically, this young man that this story is about he was called Habil. He was, uh, he was obviously a Muslim. He was, he was born into this culture there. But when he was uh, about 12, I think he was, but his, both his parents died. And he and his sister were offered a place in the Swedish orphanage because otherwise they would have probably just starved. And so they were taken in there. And of course, as it was a Christian orphanage, they often had, had teaching and prayers about the Lord. But Habil, as far as he was concerned, wasn't interested in that and kept it at a distance. But he was a good man. But slowly, slowly, probably the prayers of people around him began to penetrate. And he began to be interested in the gospel. And one night he had a dream which was very vivid. And it was a dream where somebody presented him, first of all, with a cross. Now, he knew the cross was the symbol of Jesus and his death. Um, but then afterwards, he was handed a crown. And so he woke up and he shared this with a friend. And um, he believed that God had given him this dream because God was saying to him, that, that some of the thoughts he had about Jesus, because he had been in his heart going after Jesus, that he should take hold of it, and it would be, it would cost him, but he should not be dismayed by the cost, because there would be a crown. That's, that's the whole sto well, the story in very brief. But I was just thinking, and so that's, that's what he did, but what actually happened, because he was, by the age of 18, he was almost like a leader amongst the youth there, and he was um, worshipping Jesus and very committed. But of course then a, a whole military force from the government moved in to this whole area. They arrested the Swedish missionaries and they were going to kill them. They didn't in the end. But what they did in the end, they decided to choose one person and they chose this young man whose name was Habil. Um, chose him to be martyred in front of everybody to say to them, if you don't toe the line, you will, you will have the same fate. In fact, probably a lot of them did later. But he, anyway, so Habil, uh, they, they said, he, they called him to stand up and come forward because they knew he had a lot of influence, even though he was a young man. And he went forward, it's, it's a beautiful story because apparently he walked forward and then he got down on his knees and just looked to heaven because he knew he was going to be killed. They didn't say it initially, but he knew it. And sure enough, they, they shot him, they beheaded him, everything. Um, and so he died there. But of course, his life left a huge imprint on others because he loved the Lord and because he really believed in the glory and the reward of the Lord, which is what Moses does in this 
reading we had because Moses is looking back on all the things that have gone wrong um, because when he'd come down from the mountain after about 40 days there, he, um, they, the, the people of Israel thought, well, he's obviously never coming back. Perhaps he died on the mountain. So they decided that they needed to get another leader, a spiritual leader. And you remember they got, they got Aaron, uh, who was Moses' brother, to make a golden calf, and they worshipped that. That was a complete, completely against what the Lord had shown them. They'd stopped worshipping God, and they're looking to this idol to lead them. So, you know, we can make mistakes, can't we, people? They made a horrible mistake, those people. But it kind of centered around, went around the people a lot. I'm not going to go into all of that, because I'll mention it again in a minute. But anyway... So Moses came down from the mountain to find the people all worshipping and living riotously um, or dancing riotously because they were worshipping this idol. And he was so shocked that he threw down the two tablets of stone which God had given him with the Ten Commandments on so that they broke. And he also just stepped forward and not only rebuked the people, God has led you all this way. You think that God had brought them through the Red Sea miraculously. He'd taken them out of the oppression that they'd been under in Egypt. He'd done so much for them, and now he was leading them to the Promised Land. And in no time at all, just because Moses was up the mountain for a bit too long, they all turned away and did their own thing. That's what happened. But the serious thing as well is that Aaron went along with it. He allowed them to do it. Um, so Aaron wasn't behaving terribly well either. Even though God had told Moses just before, when Moses was on the mountain, he said to him that uh, you're going to make, Aaron's going to become my high priest and you're going to make garments for him to wear, priestly garments. They're amazing garments. I remember reading it years ago and writing a poem about Aaron's garments. Probably people, when they, it's in my book of poems, but um, probably if people read it, they think, who's that about? Well, it was about Aaron. It does say somewhere in the poem. Because his, his priestly garments were so full of splendor and glory but all the same, Aaron by that time had discovered that you need to give glory to God, not take glory to yourself. And so anyway, Aaron had led the people in that. So Moses came down and he, he was hugely discouraged and he had to re rebuke all of them, the people and Aaron, everybody who was down there supposedly looking after the place for him. You can imagine if you went away, you know, and you left your house in the, in the care of somebody and they just had all kind of parties and wrecked the place. Well, maybe some of you have had that experience, but we, we've had people look after our house from your way, but we haven't had anybody do that. We've, been, we've had some wonderful people. But I'm just saying that we can so easily find that people let us down. And Moses then, in this verses that we read, he's at that point where he goes back to God, and frankly, he feels it's time he gave up. I don't know if some of you have ever been in a situation where you felt God put you in it to do something for him, and you gave up because you were discouraged. Not because God told you to, but because you were discouraged. So here we have Moses, who is so discouraged, he's talking to the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I thought I'd found grace in your sight. What he means is grace, you know, I think many years ago when I was, uh, I was told that grace means unmerited favor. Did you learn that? In other words, the favor of God, the grace of God is the favor of God, but we don't deserve it, but God gives it. 
And Moses had discovered that, that God had laid hold of him as a, as a young man himself. You remember, first of all, as a baby, he was rescued from drowning in the Nile. And then he was brought up as Pharaoh's daughter. And then, you remember, he went out, he encountered God. And in so many ways, God, God also helped him when he challenged Pharaoh. And then God looked after him and saved his life. So he knew that God had called him to do and to be the person he was. It was a very significant life. And so now he is at this discouragement time. The interesting thing for me when I read this, I kept remembering that um, in our prayer community, we always have somebody who brings a bit from the word of God. And Henry had asked me one week whether I would do the word, bring a word. And I brought a bit from Elijah and um, from his story. And then at the end of the time, uh, Henry said to me, that, that was just so right. Would you do next week as well? And maybe do a bit more about Elijah, if you think that's right. Well, what had actually happened was, what I'd done with them was when Elijah had brought rain on the land. You remember, he challenged the, the prophets of Baal, the evil one on the mountain. And then, and, and then he'd overcome the huge Baal. Baal was a foreign, was a god that was... Not a, not a, was a, an idol, was a, a demonic god. And so he had challenged the people. He shouldn't follow that. He challenged the, the prophets of Baal. I, I can't go into all the stories, but you know, it's all in the book of, of Acts. I know that book is in, that one is in Kings. Is it Kings? Yes. Um, but this, this story today is in, is in Exodus. Anyway, so basically, I, was to, I took up with the mainly when when he had said there would be no rain until his word. He told the king that Ahab challenged him to say that he was a prophet of the Lord, and he said it. But then, once he dealt with all the prophets of Baal, and God had honored his ministry by sending fire from heaven down on the sacrifice, then what happens is, dear old Elijah becomes... Um, Lord, a bit desperate, and he starts praying for rain because that's what he said would happen. And the interesting thing to me was that he had told Ahab, the king, that there will be no rain, no rain until I say so. But now he wants to bring it, but he has to really pray for God to honor that, doesn't he? So you find him on his knees, praying and fervently praying. I simply took up that part of the passage mainly to say that we sometimes have to persevere in prayer. Even Elijah had to, even though he knew he was praying the will of God. And so, uh, so we, we had that that week. But the following week, since Henry had asked me to do another bit on Elijah, um, I did the more discouraging part when Elijah, because after he'd had such huge success, if you like, and he was so publicly honored for, for, for his word and the people were turning to the Lord, he then had uh, Jezebel go for him. Do you remember? The queen Jezebel sent a message saying, I will make your life like one of these lives of the prophets that died. I, I will make it by this time tomorrow because of what you've done. She was really against him. And for some reason, he was terrified of her. Now, I suppose perhaps we might be the same, might we? She, she did have power, but also she had a lot of power in her words. That's why people talk about the Jezebel spirit, because words can be very powerful and destructive. Anyway, so Elijah ran away, do you remember? And eventually, he ran, God was so gracious to him, as he is. When he was running away across the desert, he, he was so tired, he fell asleep. And God sent an angel to wake him up 
and give him food and water so he wouldn't die of starvation on the way. I, I just think God, he, said, he did that twice. And God then said, okay, now you come to the mountain of God. And Elijah went on. You remember, he went up. He went to God. And God manifested his glory to Elijah on the mountain uh, because Elijah was so discouraged. He said, I, you know, I thought I've done everything at your word, Lord, but it's all been, it's all a mess. It's all hopeless. I can't do it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that about anything? I think lots of us as human beings have got quite large areas of, of readiness to collapse when we know we can't or we think we can't do it. And if you do, if you do a spiritual work of any kind, whatever, you will often find the enemy come along and say, you can't do that. Stop that. And so often we listen to the enemy rather than listening to God, don't we? So this, that was what Elijah was doing. But Elijah got turned around by the Lord, sent back to continue his ministry, but also to anoint Elisha to take over from Elijah when God took Elijah to heaven. So that's, that was that story. I was doing the prayer community, and then I kept noticing here that um, Moses had taken on Joshua to train him up, and he was with him. And therefore, we had these leaders, because Joshua did take over, as you probably know. He, he, when, when Moses went to heaven, Joshua took over the leadership of the people of God because Moses determined it, because God said, this is the next one. And he led them into the promised land in the end, you remember? Anyway, if you're not familiar with all these Old Testament stories, I'm really sorry. It does take a lot of reading. But anyway, you get the gist of the story, don't you? I'm sorry if I'm... I'm galloping through stories that may not be as familiar to everybody. But this is a wonderful book, The Word of God, and you can learn a lot of things about our life with God, especially as we reach out to him, we commit our lives to him, then we, we're going to learn some of these things. And we had those two wonderful baptisms, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, and I believe I, we have prayed, I'm sure you have continually for Sue and for uh, Eleanor, um, but we need to see them lay hold of God's life. And we need to see lots of other people who are coming in, laying hold of the life of God, because it's not a small thing, it's a great thing. And actually, I'm sure you agree with me with this, but I feel that our, our nation is in a really bad place. In fact, quite a lot of the nations are, especially in the West, because we've abandoned Christianity in a real living way where, where God can, can put his word out, and it's all just become a you know, kind of thing for some people kind of thing. But I actually see, I, I can see the difference it's made in people over the last probably 20, 30 years, but that people, because people are no longer really wanting to be, uh, I'm making a generalization. I'm sure you know lots of people who are genuinely seeking after God and righteous. But we have a lot of people who take positions of power and leadership and seem to think it's their right to do so. And yet they're not people who are really manifesting uh, obedience to God. And I think we need to pray for the coronation of from King Charles because... I think uh, this weekend, not because I think he's a wonderful person, I think he's, he's been pretty dishonorable at times in his past. And so, but what it, what it makes me think of is the, um, the previous monarch, our, our queen, she grew up with a father 
who loved God and used to read the Bible every day. She got used to him every night. He would read the Bible, at least a chapter. And so he would talk about God. And then when the war broke out, you remember the, the Second World War, when it broke out and Britain was involved, she found um, a, a little piece in a poem, I think it was, but she brought it to him. Um, said because that piece was you know it because he put it, he then had it put out everywhere I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year they were coming to the end of one year and the next year was the one where they would have the, um, they, the where the war was breaking out more strongly and so she gave this to her father and he was very moved by it I, I started it then I, it said I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year give me a, a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he said to me, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than a light and safer than a known way. Now, it was a, a powerful piece talking about we, we don't know what's ahead. It was, if you remember, just at the beginning of that Second World War, which was pretty horrendous for people in this country. Um, but... He then, the king then said to them, let's put our hand into the hand of God and walk forward with him. I have always believed that the reason we survived that war, and there should, and in some ways we shouldn't have done according to the, according to the amount of um, things that were against us uh, in the war, in uh, military terms and so on. But we did survive it, and I've always thought it was because we had a praying king, a godly king, because he was, that's what his daughter Elizabeth always said, he was a godly man, and he prayed. And he joined up with... He, I don't think he was too sure about Winston Churchill at first, and you, you could understand he might think, hell, what have we got? But, but um, he did, and they, they together, Churchill as well, began to be much more open to what God was saying. I'm just... You may disagree with all those things, but those are the kind of things I've concluded over the years. That's really boring if, it's, if you were born so many years after the war, it doesn't matter. So please forgive me, I'm moving on. But I wanted to say we had a godly king who prayed and who read the word of God. I think that did more for our nation than we recognize. So I have no idea whether King Charles will. I have no idea because you can't always tell what's going on in their hearts by what they say, because people often say things that they hope will make them more popular rather than what is truth. So we need to know what is truth. But we need to pray that we do have at least a monarch uh, as well as we need to pray for the people in power as well politically. So because we must have godly people making decisions for us. Right, so where did I get to? Okay, so... Moses goes before God and says, well, you've said to me, bring up this people, go take them to the promised land, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. I found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. I think that's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? Maybe you could be praying that yourself now. Lord, if I have found favor, if I found grace in your sight, and you brought me into your family, and you've got a purpose for my life, then, then sorry, I have to put these on for this, then uh, show me now your way, that I may know you. I want to know you more, Lord. 
That's what he's saying. And the Lord assures him that his presence will go with him. Earlier he'd said that he would not go with the people, but an angel would lead them forward, but he wasn't going because they weren't following his way. But now Moses is pleading for the people, pleading for the way forward, and God says, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Because Moses is so desperate, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. Lord, please don't take us on any further unless you're with us. You ever had that in your life in some form or another? Lord, if this is not your way, then don't let me go it. Go that way. You ever had that? Well, the next thing I just want to pick up is, I love verse 18. Um, and that was the thing, of course, that really leapt out at me. He said, the Lord said, I will also do this thing, verse 17, that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please, show me your glory. And then the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim my name. You remember, he says, and I will... I will I will go before you and I go, i just looking to see which bit I'm going to read. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But God said, you can't see my face, for no man can see me and live. Here's a place by me, you shall stand on the rock, and it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Throughout the Bible, God said, I can't show my... Because if they saw his face, they would know him even more, but also it would not be good for them at that point. God wasn't ready. When we all get to glory, we will see his face. Do you know that? He will be there to welcome us. We will receive resurrection life just as Jesus did on the earth, but we will know the resurrection. There's lots of wonderful things in the word about what awaits us but first we've got to go through our journey here in the wilderness and I love the fact that Moses pleaded with God Lord show me your glory show me your glory what's the glory it's the beauty of God of his purpose of his personality of his of his character who God is that's his glory so Lord show me your glory let me know more of you that's what it's about Show me your glory. Many of you will have read that there, was, there has been a, a move of the Spirit in, that, um, in the church that's part of the university in the States, the University of Asbury. can't remember where it is now, but anyway, the Asbury Revival. And, and so they've had, what happened was, they were all worshipping, and then as they worship, sometimes God just moves in, doesn't he? They obviously were really seeking him sincerely, and as they worshipped, the worship got deeper and deeper spiritually. And they just continued to worship. And then even when the music stopped, they didn't go home. They continued just to worship and pray. And this, this what they called a revival, went on for two or three days where people were still there, just going in and out of joining this time of... Because they felt God was revealing himself to them, his character, his person. And many people, uh, lots of people went out to visit Asbury to see what had happened there. But I believe it was that, that what happened there was what could happen here. It could happen wherever there are people who are willing to say, Lord, show me your glory. And then willing to put ourselves in that place where we will 
receive it, where we will let him correct anything in our lives. Because I've just remembered this wonderful person here, she did a whole PowerPoint for me, and I've forgotten all about it, so we, we're going to finish in a minute. So we won't do it now, but my PowerPoint was, because I'd had a, a church leader contacted me, a few days before while I was preparing this, and he just talked to me about some difficulties he had with his leadership team, you know, and, and how do these things should be handled and so on. So I was not only talking about it, but afterwards I was thinking about it, about leadership generally. And, and then I, because I was preparing for this as well, I looked at the story of Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, and I noticed their leadership strengths and weaknesses. That's what I did by PowerPoint, their strengths. Uh, but also, they had we Actually, Joshua isn't recorded as having a weakness at this time because he was a young man, and Moses just sent him into the tent of meeting to be worshipping and praying and listening to God. Um, so he, he, was, he was cooperating with that, but that would undoubtedly have given him everything he needed when in years later he was made a leader of the people. So I'm not going to go into that because it would take too long. And what I feel... And we'll do it another time. Maybe I can persuade Debbie to let me have a bit of time at the end for anyone who's interested in a wonderful PowerPoint of what it means to be a leader and what are the strengths and weaknesses. Okay, but you've got good leaders here. That's the very encouraging thing. So perhaps you didn't need it. I'm going to pray, but also what I wanted to say is I don't know if the Lord has spoken to your heart. I believe we are coming into... not. Immediately, and it's not just this, this church. I think our nation is coming into a new season, and we may have a lot of problems ahead. But we want to be people who know the glory of God. We have his presence. We have his purposes worked out. And if that is you, then as we, as we ask... Um, ask uh, sorry, Ethan, yes. I know all these names. I tell you something... You know, old age is not for, not for cowards, you realize, don't you? Yes, you know that, David, as well. <laughs> because every now and then, I know Ethan so well. I've known him since he was a little boy. So, but I, the name just goes. It's a, anyway, it's a good name, so that's good. Okay. <laughs> it is true. Uh, Ethan, you come out ready to play. And um, what I want us to do is, if you are praying this, let's be serious about it, people. Lord, show me your glory. If you want to know God in a deeper way, then I, I would like you to stand while we do that. It may even be that we should have you stand in the aisle, but it may be difficult for you to move out. So as long as you just stand wherever you are, because by standing we're saying, Lord... I, I want you to show me your glory, Lord. I want to be filled with the glory of God. I want to understand your word, your way. I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to see my prayers inspired by the Spirit of God. Lord, show me your glory. You're a wonderful, beautiful God. And we will never be the same again when he reveals more of himself to us. Let your living word Let your name.